Good evening and welcome back to the Midnight Mass Preacher Cast. I'm Crypt Keeper James, and I'm joined by my good friend, Mr. Bobby Blades. How are we tonight, Mr. Blades? Doing good. Very good. I forgot what I was going to say, but it must not have been really important, because otherwise I wouldn't have forgotten. I do that sometimes. Sometimes I'd be like, oh man, this would be perfect to say, and then I get yeah. into it, and I completely forget. It's like that deer in the headlights kind of thing, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I was in a uh, uh, a play one time in high school, and I came out, and I completely forgot the line, so I just like ad-libbed like 15 minutes, and what are you going to do? So it's <laughs> it turned out okay, but afterwards, I kind of got yelled at, and I'm like, hey, what do you want me to do? So yeah, You're in high school. I mean, it's not like you're a professional actor yet. Right. No. Not at all. <laughs> Not at that time. Not any time. Shame on that teacher. Shame, shame, shame. She was a weirdie, man. She was really weird. But, I mean, it was a fun class. What are you going to do? So. Well, those drama class teachers are usually pretty flaky. Yeah. Yeah, her husband used to come in, and he always was wearing, like, an ascot or a scarf. Or, and we lived in Florida. <laughs> so it, it, I had an art teacher like that. <laughs> <laughs> he actually he looked like uh bob ross he had the afro and everything oh and that'd always been awesome. a turtlenecks with a scarf i love that i love that story i i would have i would have totally i have zero artistic ability but i would have loved to have been in the class just for this guy so that'd have been great so he was very flamboyant <laughs> no taken <laughs> nice all right so tonight we're going to be talking about one of my favorite movies of all time, They Live, which is just mwah, fantastic. Uh, it's a sci-fi thriller that came out in 1988, which I was surprised. I actually thought it came out earlier than that for some reason. But Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, but now it's 88. It uh, has one of my all-time favorite wrestlers, Rowdy Roddy Piper, starring in it. Oh, yeah. Um, I am not a fan of... Of wrestling at all for what it is today and not really even back then for the most part but I mean you had Hulk Hogan Jake the Snake, Andre the Giant uh, Junkyard Dog and of course you know Macho Man Randy Savage with oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I just remember he was always the snap the snap into the Slim Jim guy yeah so things wanted. Why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you. All around you. Blinded us to the truth. Take a look. They are safe as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me. Put these on. They have us. Look at them. They're everywhere. We have no other choice. I don't like this one. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business. Ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like Tattletail. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick it. And I'm 
lot of bubblegum. Yeah, anyway, this... Oh, no, we did. One. Yes, okay. we're good. Yep. Uh, this is a John Carpenter movie and is one of the better of his for me. Um, I kind of have a top three, which is The Thing, They Live, and then Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> so you can't go wrong with any of those, in my opinion. No, so. I can see that. Although a lot of people, I would say that they crapped on uh, John Carpenter's vampires, but I thought it was quite good, and James Woods was hilarious in that film. You know, I have a hard time with that one. It's like, I want it to be good, but then the ending when uh, uh, his buddy, who I think is a bald one, isn't he? Yep. Yeah, um, keeps letting the girl feed on him, and like he's in love with her, and it's all weird. And I was like, mm, and he's like, well, you know, give us a chance, and like I'm gonna chase you, and all. I don't know. It was good, but also kind of off. But I yeah, guess I. But James Woods is one of my more favorite actors. Um, so I always appreciate his work. So. Um, you usually can't go wrong with a John Carpenter film. I mean, for the most part, they're pretty good. Most of it is not appreciated in its time. Like, The Thing, uh, They Live, were both, like, crapped on horribly when they first came out. It, it, it was like they developed cult followings and stuff like that after the time. So, it, I think that's weird. Because, like, for me, the thing, that scared the hell out of me. Still does. So. And I think, too, um, since we were kids at that time, we couldn't really have contributed much to, you know, the following of that movie. Because we were just little kids watching scary movies. You know, it's it's not as though we really had a voice in the matter in that. You know, we're spending our parents' money going to see these movies or buying them on VHS or something. So, right. I'm pretty sure the most I contributed to these movies really is just renting them on a weekend. I think I saw Big Trouble in Little China in the uh, theater. I'm pretty sure that I did. But the thing, I was way too young to have seen that. And yeah. uh, They Live, I remember watching it on TV because right. I was like, wow, this is a really trippy movie. Um, I it remember just was. seeing the thing. Ooh, first time I saw that, um, my sister's boyfriend at the time, which later became her husband, he brought it over on VHS, and that scared the hell out of me. Um, and likewise with They Live and Big Trouble in Little China, I had seen those on probably HBO first. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I... I know that I I want to put money on the fact that I went and saw Big Trouble in Little China at the, at the movie theater. But yeah, they they live I definitely saw on TV first and then the thing I know 
Um, I think I had seen it on like maybe say like a Saturday morning creature feature maybe, and I was like, "What is this?" And then like I actually watched it rented or whatever, and I was just no, <laughs> I was so scared. And then like it all it leaves you know that the end with that creepy music, and they're pretty much just sitting there, and you're like, "Wait a minute, this isn't resolved. There was no resolve." And right. even kind of with they live, it's kind of the same way. It is, and you know, as a kid, I didn't notice that. But watching it last night while I was taking my notes, I had come to realize that there were parts that I missed watching it as a kid. And I was like, wow, this is so dreary. There's absolutely zero resolution to this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I just thought that that was, I thought that it spoke volumes about like the kind of the position that we're in today. Because you know, all through the movie, there's that theme going of like the television telling you, you know, to consume to uh, what you need to do or what you need to look like to be this, to get the girl and, you know, all this stuff. So it's basically like the TV controlling you and then the people getting the headaches from watching the television when the signal goes all wonky with the hackers and everything. Yeah. So it was just like, it was very Ahead of its time, I want to say. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I do love uh, the catchphrases that came out of this movie. So that does one of my favorite parts. That character, um, Nada, or Nada, however you want to say it, was probably one of the best written characters for for the time. I really appreciated what he did. Um, you've got either put on these glasses or start eating this trash can. <laughs> um, when the ladies like, it looks like you dipped your face in the cheese dip back in 1957. <laughs> <laughs> She's just like, wow. Um, he says, that's like pouring perfume on a pig. <laughs> and then uh, this one, uh, I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubble gum. And what I really like about that one and why it's fun is because three years later, when Duke Nukem, the video game came out, he used that. I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gum and I'm all out of gum. I don't know if you ever played no, Duke Nukem. Never played it. He even, he doesn't have the haircut. He has more of a buzz cut, but he's wearing sunglasses and he's fighting aliens. And it's really funny to me that he said it because it, it's a very like character. I don't know if there's any correlation between the two, but he's he his in the video game his little one-liners that he says all the time make me think and reminded me of this character from They Live. So, <laughs> yeah. Um. So the, what were you gonna say? Like when uh, you're talking about the line, I've come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Yeah. Um, that was actually ad-libbed by Roddy Piper. Right. Apparently that was uh, something that he was going to say when he was wrestling. Oh, like really? he had, Yeah, he had written it in a book. Uh, like he had a little notebook and he and uh, he shared it his little book with John Carpenter and he loved it. So he's, oh. they, they added that in. Yeah, that was cool. He probably had a bunch of those one-liners that he had written, and and maybe they threw that in the in the script. Yeah, I love that. That's so that's fun. Um, they live is a fun movie from the jump, and it seems kind of silly at first, 
But then when you get into the meat and potatoes of the story, you find it's, it's really quite scary. I mean, like, really scary. The movie is based off of a 1963 short story called 8 O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson, uh, which, of course, I never read because I don't read books. So I can't lie. <laughs> so, you and your books, man. What have you got against books? I, you know, it's... <laughs> It all started from a young age when we used to sit around on the weekend and all I wanted to do was watch cartoons or TV and everybody would sit around and read books. And I hated it. It was so boring and it was Florida and it was hot. We didn't have AC and it's it's just a sore spot for me. So there you go. That's the psychosis of it. Okay, I see. I know. Yeah. I have to get you to a therapist one of these days. Yeah, it, I, it I probably <laughs> solve a lot of problems in my life with the book situation. <laughs> so, I I did like the the characters were rather random in existence instead of being like an already congealed group of people. Like you have the homeless drifter who really doesn't even have a name. The uh, Holly, who is a Cable 54 employee, and initially is kind of taken hostage. You know, that's how she becomes in the part of the movie. And then uh, Frank, who's kind of a construction worker, who's kind of a nice guy. Like, he kind of helps Nada out. Um, so, and the majority of the resistance are what we would call, like, the bottom of the barrel of society. If you notice that, like, they're... They're not necessarily like, of course, the elitists and stuff like that. They're more your, not even average Joe. They're, you know, lower class. I hate to be like ugly of that. Um, But you've got a three-tier system where you've got like the rich and elite are the ones that are working with the aliens to control us. The middle class are basically the sheep for slaughter. And then you've got the lower class that are like, you guys need to wake up and, and smell what's going on. So, but I did like that they were still fighting for humanity, which was nice. You know, even though they were being just crapped on it, you know, and didn't have anything, they still were like trying to do something for us. Yeah. Um, It was uh, good to see from the perspective of basically the, like you said, the lower caste, because these people, they didn't have a home. You know, they were at a homeless encampment. And whatnot, and like the leaders of the resistance were ga- resistance were gathered together in a church, and they had this like high tech sunglass making things, right. and uh, you know they're the fake singing so that nobody would hear what they were talking about. Right. And you're wondering, you're like, where do we get? Where do they get the funds? But then you listen to one of the guys, and he's talking about robbing banks and doing other stuff, and you're like, aha, there we go. Right. You know, that's the stuff I never picked up on as a kid. Yeah, and that's smart because that that really sets the stage for saying you have a a stark difference between upper and lower. And then mm-hmm. you have the middle who is basically the the food or whatever you want to say, the 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 lambs. Um and I, I appreciated that that they kind of really kept that 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 theme going throughout the movie. Um, I did like that they used the global warming as a tactic that the aliens are using, uh, which was also used in the movie The Signal as part of what they were doing to prep the planet for takeover and everything like that. I like that even at this point in time, they were talking about global warming. 
um, regardless of what side of the stick you are on that. I just like that, you know, it's, it's something that gets brought up politically when people are trying to make a statement, of, oh, global warming and, and, and everything like that. Um, it seems like it's only important when it's to somebody's agenda. Mm-hmm. And here the aliens are doing that. I'm like, yeah, see, they're in, they're already here. This is already going on. <laughs> they're terraforming the planet, and the president is on TV telling you that everything's going to be all right. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, if you don't wear your sunglasses, you'll be fine. Stay asleep. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, So these aliens, of course, are using media and the rich to control the population. Uh, the glasses are cool that they reveal the truth of what is going on with the signs and the spaceships. And of course the aliens, uh, I do love when Nade is in the store and starts talking shit about the aliens. Oh yeah. That's the part. <laughs> he's so great. Cause he's like he's his face and he's looking at these people and, and he's just like, Oh my gosh. And all the signs are all, you know, conform, you yeah. know, submit. And it's just like, it's just outstanding. It was just great. Great writing in the way of being able that there's not necessarily a whole bunch of cr- action per se, but there's a lot of psychological stuff going on. Like, yeah. And it's not so deep that, say, the average non-intellectual person couldn't grasp it. You know, you don't have to dig through many layers, even though there are some layers. Definitely. But it's just like, this is what we present to you. And, you know, you can kind of follow along with the story. Right. And also just being in that situation. I mean, it's even like that with the thing. I think, you know, just to keep kind of bringing back to that, that, that solitude that it would exist in that situation to where you're the only person who's seeing this, you know, you, you are quite alone. And as far as you know, the majority of the people that were fighting this or whatever, they all got, you know, killed out or, or taken or whatever. And that would just be a, a horrible situation to be in. So very lonely. Yeah. Like the one thing that the the contrast between this and the thing is that um, Nada has the glasses. So he can kind of tell who's friend or foe. Whereas in the thing, you weren't able to tell unless you did some series of crazy tests where, you know, the blood thing. Right. You find out that the creature doesn't like fire. But, you know, that's a little difficult because the creature is not going to stand still for long enough. If it's outed, then it's out and it's going to devour you. Right. Right. Um, I did like the recurring messages that the aliens are using to consume, reproduce and conform. Uh, mm-hmm. All things I would expect to be said by those that are trying to take over. And in a in a sense, once again, that is kind of, it's very timely. You know, I mean, what are we doing right here? Oh, we're going to take care of you so you can have kids and have your family. Oh, follow and take your shot. Do this. Make sure you're doing. I mean, there's even media right now is just, oh, you're if you're not doing this, you're not right. So make sure you do this. And, mm-hmm. and of course, consume. You know, it's Thanksgiving. It's Christmas, it's this. You got to get everything. Make sure you're always something, right? Valentine's Day, right? Make sure you get that perfect gift for the woman you love, right? The person in your life that you love, you know. Yep. Easter's coming, and you know, and then it's it's summer. You got to do summer vacation, so make sure you have all this. There's always something that they're pretty much pushing that to consume, and then of course, you know, well, you're gonna grow up, you're gonna have kids, you're gonna do this, and. And then the conform one is what really got me just because of how 
it, you know, it can apply with what's going on in the world today, like how media basically leads people around like dogs on leashes. Uh, yeah. And not to go too far down any rabbit holes, but like seriously, people are like they see a post on Facebook and they take it to fact before they even know the context. Like it's if Aunt Sue posted a picture of somebody wearing a shirt that says a certain thing, well, then I'm going to share it because I like that because that's the mindset that I'm in. And then the next thing you know, 250 people have shared it and it's not even a real picture. It's a Photoshop picture. You know, that I, is the spread of information in this day and age, though, that that's like the good and the bad of it right there. Yeah. Because like you were saying how these aliens control the media, so they control the narrative. And what we're seeing now is a lot of division between many different people who would have just kind of come together, possibly. Um, and now you're seeing it's like, well, you know, you're, you're not thinking the way I'm thinking. So therefore, you must be wrong. Right. I don't want to get too in depth about it, but it, it just there's a lot of division and we can see that now and we can kind of tie that in with the movie as well. Right. Right. I mean, it's and it's even I mean, to tie that in. With how like the media edits and portrays the information, it's funny just to to name the the two biggins, you know, between Fox and CNN, they can tell the same exact story. It's told in a totally different way, so it's not too far off a of reach to believe that something like this in the movie could happen. I mean, I've seen that. I've I've literally looked at like a headline on Fox, headline on CNN. They're the same exact thing, and but they're just spun a different way. And I'm like, wow, this this movie really grasps this this concept of how controlling this is and how the media really sets the tone of what people think and that's crazy to me yeah so, i was um are you familiar with the video game bayonetta no okay. i am not well, basically this really hot witch uh chick that she she doesn't wear clothes, but her body is covered with her hair. And so like her hair forms a suit for her body. And when she fights, more and more of her suit leaves her body. So she's almost like naked. But that aside, there's one thing at the beginning of the game where it's like in a world where perception is reality, good and evil, blah, blah, blah. That's like that's all I could remember. But what I'm thinking of is like what the the in uh like when John Carpenter created this, I, I don't know who wrote the script, but I'm thinking that they, they saw what was going on at that time too, where they're like, you know, there's subliminal messages. They want you to consume. They want you to continue buying things so that the rich get richer and everybody else kind of stays in their lane. Yeah. Um, I forgot the original point I was trying to make, <laughs> but with Bayonetta. <laughs> yeah. There, thank you. Um, but perception being reality for everyone. So when you're watching something, your knee-jerk reaction to it is like, oh, I don't like this. What's going on? But you don't know that things could have been cut out and laid out in such a fashion that it would cause you to react the way they want you to react. So therefore, they're controlling your emotions through right. like what you're seeing. Yep. Which is crazy. I mean, it's just crazy. And I just – I appreciate it for for what the movie does because that's it's not out of the the realm of possible or plausible like if aliens were to come here and do this kind of stuff infiltrate the rich infiltrate the media 
and control that way. I don't think that's so far beyond, uh, you know, a plausible type thing. If that was to be, I mean, that I'm not saying, you know, anything about aliens wise. I'm just saying that that's, it's not far fetched, I guess is what I'm saying. So, cause I'm pretty sure that the rich people are doing that to us anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> All hail our reptoid overlook. Oh, excuse me. Right. Right. <laughs> right. You're not, you're not a, a, a lizard person. No. <laughs> lizard people. No, they don't exist. We're going to get that, that emergency broadcast interrupting. Our- <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, um, so beyond that point, I did really like the fight between Nada and Frank in the alley. That was uh, the most hilarious thing I've seen. Their fight. It lasted way too long. Six minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's actually been called one of the greatest fight scenes in the movie history. So. Really? Yeah. Which. I just thought it took too long. <laughs> there were a lot of pauses. It was like. Basically, you're watching a WWF wrestling match, but it's on the big screen, you know? Yes. Yeah. There was a lot of there was a lot of breaks in between that where it's like, okay, I kick your ass. I lay on the ground. I get back up and I try to make you wear the sunglasses. So it, it was just comical to me. Yeah. And I see that same. And it being the I guess the thing is just what I did like about it is they got tired. You never see in movies when people are fighting where somebody gets worn. Maybe Lethal Weapon when he's all shot up and he's finally like, yeah, I'm kind of dying now. Um, even though he's probably the only person I know that gets shot that many times like that and still live. But at least he was down. You know, this same thing. These guys, they got tired. You know? <laughs> and finally, he was like, fine, I'll wear the glasses. After six minutes of beat fighting in the alley, fine. Um... I I liked the alien tech that was used weapon wise and overall. Uh, the watch was cool that created the portal. Yeah, uh, and the fact that they basically using like satellite transmissions to blind people from the truth was pretty cool. Like using certain waves and all that kind of stuff to to make reality be bent bent the way that they wanted it. That was cool. I thought that was smart too because you're not thinking of something that people can't grasp it's something within the realm that exists in in like our world today where they're just kind of they're so advanced that they can kind of tune these waves to make you see what they want you to see you know again like perception being reality there right i thought that was cool yeah same and you don't have to go i mean of course you know as conspiracy people and all that kind of stuff we go oh we don't but like i mean there's things that we cannot even perceive in our eyes because our optics don't allow us like cats and dogs, like other animals have certain vision things and stuff like that. They can see mm-hmm. that we can't. So it's not so far beyond the thing. Well, we could put this here, but put it in a way that your eyes cannot perceive it. That's completely believable. Yeah. So. And, and you would still absorb that information, even though your eyes can't see it because like maybe some part of uh, some of it kind of gets absorbed into your body, I guess. Right. Well, your brain into can your see it, but your eyes yeah. can't. So the brain stores it, but it doesn't. I mean, they, they did. What movie did they do that in that got all banned out that they put subliminal messaging and stuff like that? And they used to, I mean, not just like 
the let's go go to the lobby. I mean, that's obviously, you know, kind of like, you know what? I will go to the lobby. But like where they literally had like images and stuff like that in the movie. I can't remember what it was, but that happened. They did that for real. Um, yeah, I know they are. They used to in commercials. They would flash something across the screen for like a fraction of a second mm-hmm. and continuously do it throughout the commercial. It was so uh, fast that you're like the naked eye couldn't pick it up. But if you slowed it down, you could actually see where they inserted it into the thing. Yeah. And um, it turns out that like people were, oh, hey, I'm hungry now because it was like a McDonald's ad or something. Right. Don't you want a hamburger? Nice and juicy. Yeah. So, I mean, advertising in itself, I guess, is kind of subliminal and we've just become kind of bland to it. But, I mean the way that they make food look and everything like that. Like that's somebody's job to make the hamburger look perfect and everything like that. Like, like the half the time they're not even using real food. Uh, they just cook the patty on the outside and it's not even the bun they really use. And it's like paper and stuff like that. It's really <laughs> weird the way that they do commercials. I'm like, ew, this isn't right. Yeah. So, it looks so delicious on the screen. And then when you actually get there, it's like garbage. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I did like the fact that one of the drifters from the shanty town was at the party and had easily been converted into collab- a collaborator. Uh, it also falls into a believability of the story. I mean, how many people would honestly turn down wealth and comfort for a small piece of their soul? I mean, right. he's, yeah. he's, he was, uh, you know, homeless, living in a homeless shelter, living at the whatever. And in the end, he's promised wealth and riches and and great life. And all you got to do is just kind of, you know, look the other way with this, that, and the other. And once you kind of like, well, you know, it's going to happen anyway, so might as well reap some benefit. Um, That was kind of rough. But uh, he had an awesome villain mustache. Yes. Yeah. He <laughs> that <was> perfect. <laughs> uh, the ending had a good twist in it with Holly turning out to be a human collaborator and killing Frank. I totally did not see that coming from uh, when I was a kid. I remember kind of being like, wait, what? what's going on? Um, I, I know she, she did seem a bit shady the entire movie in a she way. Calm. Yeah. Uh, but then again, she had been taken hostage at one point by Nada. So, you know. Well, that's what I mean. She was way too calm when she was uh, taken hostage. You think, like, unless she had been in a situation like that before, it's like, and she knows what to do, how all of a sudden is she, like, very submissive and calm and calculating? And, you know, she throws him out the window. It was just like... Yeah. <laughs> I knew something was fishy, but I still didn't see it coming. Even after seeing it for the second time, I was like, she's bad. (laughs) It got me twice. (laughs) You you sneaky movie. (laughs) That's nice. Yeah. I, I, I really, I hated that she ended up that way, but again, I ended, I mean, I get it, but I didn't, I didn't want her to be bad. I guess you'd say that. Um, I also hated that uh, Keith David got shot in the head. Yeah? 
Yeah. Because it was like, I wanted to see, like, I was still hoping that those two would make it through the end of the movie because I was, as I was taking my notes, I'm like, wow, there's some serious plot armor. They go from being all razzle-dazzled by wearing the glasses and seeing society for what it truly is. And the next thing you know, they're like two badasses blowing things up and just, you know, killing everybody who's a uh, skeleton face. Right. And so it's just like, wow, how did they go from that to this? You know, where was the transition? And then all of a sudden, it's like they're inside the base. Um, and the girl, I forgot her name already. But yeah, her. Holly? You know, she, yeah. She puts the gun to his head. And then they cut to the next scene. And, you know, he's nowhere to be found. I was just like, oh, man, she killed him. No. <laughs> so I, I was really broken up about that. That's fair. That's fair. And he was in the thing as well. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And which is actually like apparently the part was written for him. So because he wanted him, he had seen it in the thing and he was like, yeah. So they actually really wanted him for that part, so, which is cool. I mean, he's basically uh, he's in that the thing. And I think uh, <laughs> uh, something about Mary. <laughs> Yeah, he's a legend now. I mean, he's been in, he's the voice of Spawn, or he was the voice of Spawn. Yeah. In the animated series, and uh, he's done so many things. I think he was in um, Community, that sitcom. Was he? Yeah, he was the crazy guy in the van. It makes sense. Yeah. I'm sure he played okay. it well. <laughs> oh, he did. He was great. He's a great actor, man. Keith yeah. David is awesome. I appreciate his work. Um, Holly does get taken out by Nada, and he does destroy the transmitter, but not before he gets murked out himself. At the cost of his own life. Yeah, which was nice. Um, of course, he goes out in style by giving the aliens the middle finger as he dies, <laughs> which I appreciate. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mr. Nada. Because, you know, you know, to the end, you were true to your character. So, um, signal is cut. Yep. The aliens are seen for what they truly are as the world is seen for what it truly is. And I don't know if, if they had made a part two, would it have been like the humans really coming together and building a resistance and like just killing those aliens wherever they could find them? No, no, I don't think at all. I mean, I, I you literally hit on the, like, like, I also wondered what was going to happen now that the aliens were exposed? Yeah. I'm not sure it's going to turn out well for the humans at all, because at this point, you know, you're kind of already committed as the aliens. So, <laughs> I mean, they've clearly got technology a lot better than ours and can come to our world and all that. So I, I don't think it's going to turn out well for humans. So, um, you have a point. I thought that like maybe the collaborators could be flushed out, but that that would just be me using wishful thinking, I guess. Well, I mean, remember the majority of the people that were like the resistance, if you want to say, was a very small band of people in one city. I mean, oh, yeah. that's it. The the middle class people, if you want to say the food, were completely blind to it and the rich were in bed with them. Literally, as we saw at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the lady that was having uh, sex with the alien. Oh God! So at the end, so that was uh, 
that was a freaky ending. Oh, 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 nice. So I, as a kid, actually kind of felt bad for any humans that had gone through that little portal thing and, and whisked away to the other planet or whatever. And we're now stuck. I was like, oh, that would suck. Because so, you're, I don't know what you're going to be doing, but you're not coming back here. So. Yeah, I didn't get worried about that because I thought they had, you know, networks of portals set up pretty much all over the globe, not just like in that one city. So I wasn't really thinking too much about that. Hmm. So, yeah. So is that just, so did they just destroy the local or did they destroy it for the world? Yeah, that's what I don't get because from what I saw, well, maybe, no, I don't know because I don't know anything about like physics and and the way that things work, like radio waves and TV waves or whatever the hell they are. Yeah. So it's it's like, how could one little satellite dish control, you know, control the perception of the entire planet? I think it would be limited to a small area unless they're bouncing it off, you know, dozens of other satellites in every part of the world, which is entirely possible. And you break one link in the chain and it takes down the whole net yeah kind of like independence day where you know they blow up the mothership and the entire network goes down yeah i'm gonna hope for that because just saying that it was just the one part of the city (laughs) that's that's even more depressing it's again this is one of those those movies i mean which is carpenter is kind of famous for which kind of leaving you with that empty feeling at the end where you're not you didn't get the the hero save the day, you know, where you're like, oh, of course he made the final shot. Of course he killed the alien. Of course we won. Nobody wins. It's not really a win. Yeah, that's not a win. That's just, uh, it's like a wake up call, I guess. Right. But you're not, I mean, what are you going to do? I, I just, I don't know. I mean, if you were literally sitting there and you look over and somebody's got a skull face, I, I don't know what to do. Do I take you out? Do I... Do I run? Run? Yeah, I, my first thing would be run, especially if I don't have any weapons on me. And there's like some zombie looking thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's time to beat feet. <laughs> so, yeah, I I mean I thought I thought overall but just a good movie. I you know, I enjoyed it again. I enjoyed I it's something I can watch again and again. If it's on, I watch it. I I like the the theme of it. I like what it's saying. Um, I like that I can apply it to life. You know, <laughs> so it's a uh, it's freaky. It's a freaky movie. It really is. So, it, uh, go ahead. It's, it's it's one of those movies that. You can be mindless about it, but also it makes you think at the same time. Right. So, yeah, it's definitely a good movie. I mean, it, it's one of the classics. And I, I'm surprised it wasn't bigger, like when you brought that up, because I thought it would have been like a big hit. Yeah, no, no. And with that, you know, with saying with like layers wise, like it's almost like The Matrix, the movie The Matrix. In the the original, don't no sequels, just yeah. the original. <laughs> when 
you can watch that movie and just be numb about it and it's a good movie. But if you like really start trying to apply it and, and give meaning to things and stuff like that, it, like you can go like six pages deep in Reddit with that. Oh shit. Yeah. And, and oh, this Think is the, it. this and this is all religion and this is the, and it's like, whoa, I never even, th- I was just watching a movie because it was good, you know? And, and this is kind of along those same lines where it's kind of, Laying it out there for you, like you said. I mean, you don't have to be a genius to watch it. He puts on the glasses, you see what he's doing. They're farming us. But then when you really play, you're like, oh, wow. Wow. So, anyway. That is that is my take on that movie. Yeah, it's mm. uh, pretty similar to mine. Although there was one portion. Um, now, I got to get your opinion on what you thought about this. But... That communications device that the soldiers were using, um, did it give you any Ghostbusters vibes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like that. Yes. I can I can completely relate where you're coming from on that. So, yes. Good job. The very you? second I saw that thing, I just pictured Egon with it. And those little lights going up. Yep, there's a ghost here. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's fun. I didn't even think about it like that. (laughs) Oh, man. That's cool. Um, You want to talk about some trivia with it? Yeah, let's get into some trivia. So, um, I like right off the jump. I really enjoyed this, that Carpenter brought real, quote-unquote, homeless folks into the production for several scenes and smaller characters and gave them food as well as paychecks. Um, Piper uh, was quoted as saying that he thought that was a pretty classy thing to do. So that's pretty cool. Apparently, Robin Williams did that a lot as well on his movies. He always made the producer of the um, – what do you call it? Not the – the director or somebody like hire at least one or two homeless people during the duration of the shooting that were local there to take care of them and give them jobs during the time and everything like that. So that's really cool. Yeah. And I thought that it was cool that they did that for here. You know, even though you're hiring, you know, homeless people to play homeless people, that's kind of whatever. But at the same time, food and paychecks, which is, is pretty cool. So Mm -hmm. definitely. Here's uh, the big fight sequence was designed, rehearsed, and choreographed in the backyard of John Carpenter's production office. The fight between Nada and Frank was only supposed to last 20 seconds, but Piper and David decided to fight it out for real, only faking the hits to the face and the groin. They rehearsed the fight for three weeks. Carpenter was so impressed that he kept the scene intact, which runs five minutes and 20 seconds. That is Absolute madness. <laughs> no, I was going to say, at one point, I looked at the back of Keith David's head, and there was a big freaking welt there with, you know, blood coming out. I'm like, that looks way too real for, you know, for makeup, for hair and makeup to be doing something like that. And so it's just like hits to the face and the groin, fake. But like everywhere else, anything goes. They're just punching each other and that's why it looks so real because when Roddy Piper was like punching the cops and everything and the, and the, even the cops beating the homeless people right you could see they were just uh 
stopping their hands and the people were moving their heads. And I was like, oh, that looks so fake. But when it's between these two, it looked like they were kicking the shit out of each other. Right. Right. So, I mean, good job by them <laughs> for committing to the act. Yeah, that's going full method, man, right there. Right. Right. Um, I like this. The uh, Roddy Piper, being a married man at the time of filming, refused to take his wedding band off. And that's why in several scenes you can see a wedding band on his finger. Ah, so. You know, I noticed that, but I didn't know that he was married at the time. And I was thinking that, hmm, maybe the character came from a family, like so something tragic happened to his family. So he just kept wearing the wedding ring, you know. Just as like to honor the memory of something. Right. Right. I don't it has nothing to do with that. No. <laughs> nothing. Um Piper's character never gives his name, nor is he referred to any name throughout the entire movie. He is simply listed as Nada in the credits, which means nothing in Spanish and Portuguese. The name almost certainly references the character George Nada in Ray Faraday Nelson's short story, Eight O'Clock in the Morning, from which the film was adapted. Very cool. Very cool. And, of course, the communicators used by the guards near the end is also the PKE meter used in Ghostbusters. Uh, <laughs> a little Easter egg. <laughs> yes. So you were dead on with that one. I love it. Oh, man, that's fun. So, After Nana kills several ghouls and exits into a side street, he comes face to face with a human cop whom he disarms and tells to leave. The actual phrase he uses is beat your feet. But according to Piper, the actor apparently misinterpreted on the first take and began running in place. <laughs> 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 I would have I would lost love it. I have seen that blooper reel. Oh, that's fun. Beat your feet. And he, you know, this guy's just dancing in place there. You just say, what are you, what are you doing, bro? What are you, <laughs> you just, what are you, you doing a little dance for me? Oh man, that's, um, so this film did open at number one at the box office. So, I mean, uh, apparently John Carpenter was pretty fascinated by that. But it it didn't do great. So, I guess it just wasn't not appreciated for its time. Yeah, maybe, maybe everybody was into, like, you know, two years before the 90s began. So, yeah. Thinking about that. And, maybe. you know, the whole Roddy Roddy Piper thing. And people might have been, oh, you know, why do I want to go watch this? I don't know. That's that's weird because it it seems like that's conflicting information. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. Let's see. Doesn't does it depend on how long it stays in the theaters? Like how much money it pulls in during the first uh, first week or first month or something like that. I you know it does, but. This, so it had a budget of four million dollars, and in the opening weekend, U.S. Canada, it it grossed four point eight. So I mean, it beat out its budget. It ended up grossing thirteen, 
million. So not, I mean, that that's double, that's damn near triple its budget. So I don't yeah. know why. I don't know. It said, it said that it was not as, it, it's, it's more of a cult following than, than approached at its time. That being said, maybe they're just, maybe there just wasn't a lot else that was released at the same time, which happens. Uh, there's a lot of movies that end up being the number one movie in America right now. And it's just because there's no other movies out at the time that are worth a damn. Right. So, that's the only reason they became number one. Right. And once again, it's media dictating what is popular, what's number one. It, it's not the people who are voicing that. You know, it's the commercials that are saying the number one movie in America. Right. So uh, I don't know. I don't believe that. It. I bet it did great. And just from what you said, I'm thinking like if it made back its budget and then some, then yeah, that's good. So here's here's some other movies that were released at the same time around that time. But I can't say it was at the exact same time because I just have a hard time with some of these. So Beetlejuice. I can't see this beating out Beetlejuice. Uh, Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Meh. I could see this beating that out. I mean, honestly, how many times can you kill the same guy? Uh, Child's Play. Die Hard. Oh, yeah. Die Hard. That's a difficult one because that was big. Super big. It's right. still it. Right. Um, so, But Child's Play, that was kind of a niche thing. Yeah. Um, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Hmm. 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 <laughs> yeah, that's, that's got me thinking. I don't he know. Heathers, which... That movie kind of came and went at theater and was more of a rental movie. Yeah, with that, one that's definitely a culty movie, too. Yeah. And then A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. So those, those are four. I mean, Coming to America, Big, Willow. Yeah, I did. No, I'm sorry. But those just those three things you named right there, I don't think They Live would have beat out Coming to America Especially with Eddie Murphy being as big as he was. At the time, right. Yeah. So That's clearly crazy. at the time that They Live came out, these movies were either had been out for a while or weren't out yet. I I just can't see Die Hard getting beat out by They Live. Not that it's not a good movie, but I just can't see that happening. I can't see even, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street 4. That's a go-to Part three was gangster. You know, you had part one. Part two was really weird. But and part Dream three Warriors, brought it back. Dream Warriors cleared the whole board, man. It was just... <laughs> right. The, the one-liners. Uh, Freddie having, like, a, developing a personality. I mean, part two was basically, you know, nothing compared to that. Part one was the introduction. Part two, it was just... You know, oh, I'm evil. I'm going to chase you down in your dreams. But part three, now, I, I think that's when it really came into its own. Yeah. Part two is where he was taking the kid over. Like, he was becoming real. And yeah, he, was he was killing through the kid. Him. It was really weird. Part two is a, is its own three-part series of a podcast, to tell you the <laughs> truth. Because it's 
you got to really break that. That movie's weird. But yeah. then when part three came out, you're right. It actually had where you had the different characters. They died different ways. They were controlling their dreams. And it set the stage for the next set of movies. Yeah. Where the, where the, you know, you had the kid ended up being the wizard and, you know, or the, you know, the kid that was a cartoon, like the girl that turned into a roach. Everybody had something good. That wasn't Dream Warrior, I know, but I'm saying it set Dream Warrior set the stage for that to happen. But it still brought back Nancy, um, who was absent in part two, to uh, to kind of reprise that role in part three. So, you know, not to get too far off the off the page here with it, but yeah, I, I can't imagine that anybody would have gone for something like this over something that you knew was was going to be oh man it's freddy he's back and blah 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 i don't know maybe that's just me yeah uh unless they scheduled it to come out either before or after those other movies you know you know how like marvel does their things they they, they won't put their they got their lineup and they make sure that doesn't coincide with the release of another big motion picture so that way you know they can judge just how many people are going to the theaters or watching this or how many people are streaming it on their devices right so exactly they did the same thing back then yeah exactly you know you know that's the case there's no way they were putting this stuff out at the same time so so anyway i i i'm trying to think of a a real just dud that that came out and owned just like nothing else was at the same time. And you're just like, well, I guess we can go watch this. And it was just like the worst movie ever. And you're just like, Oh, I would have rather just stayed home and slept. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what, what year was night of the comet? Uh, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> how dare you, sir? That is an American treasure. It was 1984, by the way. Oh. <laughs> That's apple pie right there. <laughs> that is, you got apple pie, you got Jimmy Dean sausage, and now you got Night of the Comet. Those are the three American <laughs> things, sir. <laughs> How dare you? I'm writing a letter to this podcast. Oh, no. Sue. Ooh. That is, you know what? I watched it again recently, and it wasn't that good of a movie. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to lie. So. It was probably... Uh, I haven't watched it in many decades, so I'll have to check it out again. But it was probably um, like pretty similar to the way I felt about Invaders from Mars for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't keep talking bad about that movie. <laughs> hey, I'm not taking the total crap on you. I'm just saying, you know, certain things in there just didn't add up for me. Um, yeah. 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 Um. The line, life's a bitch and she's back in heat, is Randy, the Macho Man Savage's favorite line in the film. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many ridiculous one-liners. Right. And, it, in the 80s. and I really think that's what helped me, again, Duke Nukem being one of the first ones that you actually could do like online play like against other people and stuff like that. You, you had Mr. Bandwidth that would come up and put everybody in rooms and everything. It was like you know, it was like a jazzed up doom. And this guy is, if, if you ever just listen to some of the one-liners that Duke Nukem said, it's literally the same exact voice and characteristics as Nada in this movie. So I think that 
that made that that game even better for me because I was like, oh yes, this is fantastic. Oh sweet. So. Hey, keep it in line with uh, what we were talking about. You know how the theaters line things up. This was originally scheduled for October twenty first, nineteen eighty eight. It was moved to November twenty no, November fourth to avoid competition with Halloween four: The Return of Michael Myers. There you go. Interestingly enough, John Carpenter had been producer and co-writer of the first three Halloween films, but Halloween 4 was the first in the series that was made entirely without his involvement. Another reason to move the release was to capitalize on the November 8th presidential election in tandem with the film's social commentary. Oh, I like it. I like it. That's that's epic. That's, uh... that's some smart marketing right there. In 1988, who was even was that Bush? Oh man, you're asking me to go back in time. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> it was Reagan. It was probably the first Bush, right? It was the still Reagan Bush. at that time. Oh, it was Reagan. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his second term expired at noon on January 20th. 1989. So who took over for him then? It had to have been the first Bush. I think so. Oh, God. Well, so we would, like, if we were trying to... Yes, it was. You know, ...be immigrants and come into the country and we had to take tests, we would fail miserably. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, they got to learn all that stuff. Who was the president in 1980? Oh, shit. I don't know. Richard Nixon? Americans <laughs> <laughs> That's my go-to. Nine times out of ten, it's going to be Clinton, uh, Nixon or Clinton. One of those two is. Uh, I am not a crook. Yeah. <laughs> One of the best scenes ever in Airplane 2. When she's sitting there talking to him about lying and all that kind of stuff. And they flashed all the passengers. They all got Richard Nixon masks on. <laughs> so That's stupid. another movie I haven't seen in so long. Oh, my God. It's so bad. And it, it, like they don't even try. Like... In the first one, they kind of like, you know, they tried to stick with where it was something. In part two, they're just like, we're just going to be off the wall. Just ridiculous, which is fun for me because I just sit there and laugh like a fool. My wife just leaves the room. She doesn't even, <laughs> she has no time for it. I mean, Come on, this is funny. She says, no, it's not. It's, it's really stupid. I'm like, mm, whatever. That ridiculous on the nose comedy is like some of the best. And Leslie Nielsen is like one of the best to have ever done that. Yes, for sure. For sure. His eternal flame is really cool. It's like like pull my finger or whatever. It says something like that. Like at at, at his uh at his tombstone. He's got an eternal flame that's like a butt or something like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was wondering. I didn't yeah. know what you meant at first. I was like, eternal flame. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, sorry. On his yes, at his grave he has an eternal flame and it's something of like a says something like pull my finger or something like that. Yeah. It's really fun. It probably so, would be something like that because he was just that kind of guy. Yep. And I appreciate that about him. So, all right. You have anything else this evening, sir? Oh, I think that's going to about do it for this. All right. I, uh, I do think that does about wrap it up then for this episode of the Midnight Mass Creature Cast. I personally want to thank each and every one of you for checking the show out. I hope that we're entertaining. 
Um, I could be more like Maximus from Gladiator and be like, are you entertained? <laughs> are you not entertained? That's what he says. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh, yeah. But it's, yeah. I'm very familiar with that. Nice. Um, we've got some really good stuff coming up in the next few weeks. I hope you'll continue to come back, check us out. Uh, Mr. Blades, I believe you have some info you would like to share with us. Yes, I do. Um, as always, you can check us out on the Facebook page. You know, just go to Facebook and look up Midnight Mass Creature Cast. Leave your thoughts on the show there. Um, if you've got a movie you want us to check out, it, it definitely has to be like a monster movie or something with creatures in it from the 80s or the 90s. That is our only criteria. Um, just go to mmccpod at gmail.com. And I think that's about does it. Epic. Yeah, definitely hit us up, man. Uh, let us know how it's going and what you like. And I, I would love to do fan picks. That's, that is all right with me. So anyway, all yeah, right. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. It would be cool to like, even if they, like, like people sent in questions, like I wouldn't even mind that. Like, you know, Hey, you guys said this or that or other, like, even if it's not a movie we're doing, like a, a like a fan, um, question. Oh, that'd be fun. So yeah, that'd be cool. Because I mean, as we're known to do so far since we've been on this journey, it's like we kind of divert off the path a little bit and go into several other movies, drawing comparisons and parallels. Right. So if we're wrong, please correct us. Um, but yeah, that would be cool to have some fan interaction, most definitely. For sure. So all right. With that said, we will close this one out. Say thanks again, all you ghouls, for tuning in. And we will see you next time.